Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. All right. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 84 of How Do You Write? And I am thrilled today to be chatting with Nikki Woolfolk. Nikki, welcome. Thank you. I'm, Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm just thrilled. And let me give you a little introduction because your introduction is seriously rad. So um, Nikki Wolfolk is a professional chocolatier. We could just stop right there and everyone admire. Um, author <laughs> and active member of Sister Instinct Crime, Romance Writers of America, and Mystery Writers of America. Nikki enjoys pulling readers into a humor-filled and spectacularly cogged and geared world. While sought after for her informative chocolate tasting sessions at conventions, Nikki also uses her polymath talents to pen articles on the craft of writing, apply her computer science training to her new adult Blurred Girl series. Uh, one is This one is called Now That Your Joysticks Broke, which is a great title, and her <laughs> culinary and aviation knowledge to create a sleuth chef that cooks up steampunk adventures under a dirty filled sty, uh, filled sky, uh, mise on death, uh, bittersweet mysteries, a series riveted, a collection of steampunk tall tales. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you. There is so Thank much. You. There's so much stuff I want to unpack in there. Oh my gosh! First, first, but first of all, aviation knowledge. Where does that come from? Opportunity to watch planes come in and go into the hangar. And pretty much hang out because my father was in the Navy. So I got to see amazing, amazing things. And part of the hangar uh, used to have airships coming through in the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Okay, that is cool. So you really come by this honestly. And Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Wonderful. And my day job, I work in aviation. So, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm a nerd. You, I'm you, a nerd. You're a big nerd with, like, fingers in all kinds of really interesting pies yes that is how long and how long have you been doing the chocolate thing too uh 10 years ago like I didn't you couldn't get me in a kitchen 10 years ago and then a whole bunch of things happened my son came into my life and I was like you know one of us is gonna have to learn how to cook and you're a newborn, so I didn't. I didn't win the arm wrestling fight, you know. So um, yeah, I decided to go to school for it, and I work my tail off. I work behind the scenes, and yeah. Now suddenly I'm cooking everything when you couldn't get me there like ten years ago. Well, so surprise! Well, newborns are really, really bad at cooking, except for yeah. mac and cheese. I find they're very good at mac and cheese. Say yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're little tiny cells. <laughs> they can make each little piece of macaroni and stick it in there. <laughs> well, I would love to know about your writing process. With everything else that you do, how do you get your writing done? Where do, where do you do it? When do you do it? How do you fit that in your life? Well, it's interesting that you would ask because about 10 years ago, um, that was at the time I was dealing with writer's block. And so when I was working at a culinary school kitchen, um, because that's pretty much where I got my training, um, stories started coming along. And the chef who was, you know, in my mind, she was absolutely amazing, you know, in the kitchen, but outside the kitchen, she was a goofball. She, you know, basically, you know, trips over her own feet, but when she cooks, she's there, she's focused. Mm. And, you know, 
it usually with my process, whatever I'm working on, um, if it is not associated with writing, that's how my creativity comes through. So when I started writing more of uh, about the chef, I'd start writing more recipes then write. <laughs> and then it got to the point where I had to cook everything. And from the cooking, it represented different scenes that I wanted to put together. So they started to work and interweave. So yeah. Oh, yeah. that's fascinating. And do you still do that now? Does that do you still see that reflected in your writing? Oh, very much so. Um, until I get to the final draft, until I get to the final piece, every single one of my scenes, even if I'm not mentioning food, in my mind, I associate it with food. Like that scene is an hors d'oeuvre. That scene is a dessert. That scene is, yeah. So it really does, for me, it ties in. So me going to cooking school actually helped to break me out of writer's block and associate something that had nothing to do with writing and find it, you know, that it meshed really well for me. So, and, yeah. And you mentioned that this was also 10 years ago when you had your son and, Ten years ago, there was a sounds like there was a major sea change in your life. Very much so. I had, I was a yoga teacher, massage therapist. I know I have got like all this stuff. Uh, yoga you have teacher, a million past therapist. lives. Yeah, and the market was saturated, uh-huh. and yeah, and it got to the point where I wanted to use my creativity. I wanted to use my science background, but at the time, it was like, well, what do I do with this? Um, so there was downtime. And like I said, I had to feed my son. So it was just one of those things of, well, until I can figure out what I want to do, let me just, you know, make my connections in New York City, go from there. And yeah, it changed a lot of things. It made, it opened up not just my own creativity, but it helped me to connect with communities I was in. And then when we moved to Connecticut, I was able to branch out and use my cooking to, you know, go in a different direction. So my cooking has actually gotten me jobs. (laughs) So yeah. Could you imagine? I'm sure you'd never would have like predicted any of this. No, not at all. (laughs) Pretty much when the market flattened out for me, I was like, you know, that's it. I can't massage. I can't yoga. I can't do anything. And then it just changed. So cooking saved my life. Wow. Okay, so now where in all this today do you fit the writing in? How do you you work that into your life? Oh, whenever I can. (laughs) I always hear mothers Um, say that a lot. You know, I'm a non-mother, but, you know, so I have really rigid uh, answers to this. And and mothers are always like, whenever I get a second. Yeah. Well, it makes you creative. And it's, it's, even if I wasn't a parent to a short human, um, (laughs) it's one of those things that if you haven't imagined that I do 40,000 things anyway, (laughs) yeah. yeah, Um, I have a lot of post-it notes and I have a lot of notebooks don't buy me any notebooks because every single notebook I have is like filled for the first two pages and then it's blank. And there's like 14 different books with like two pages filled and then I get another one because I forget where I put the other one. Yep. But um, a lot of times I'll end up like writing when I can and I found what works best for me is to write scenes. If I go, mm. oh, I have to write 3,000 words today, I put too much pressure on myself. Mm. That's how I found that it helped to instigate my writer's block and my anxiety. Mm. So instead, I go with scenes, even if it's out of order. Because before I used to tell myself, you got to do everything in order. Who says? Who says? So now whenever, you know, if I have an idea for a storyline, I 
may jot down some notes to kind of keep me, you know, in line, but pretty much I make sure to just write a scene. And it generally comes to about five to a thousand words, mm-hmm. sometimes 1500 words, and that's good. And then, you know, you start putting them together, but I have to number them or at least title them because if I don't, everything's out of order and I don't know what the hell's going on. So. How do you, how do you keep track of them? Do you use Scrivener or are they all different uh, word documents? Back in my day, we used to <laughs> <laughs> pre-scrivener. <laughs> We're perfect. You new fangled kids using the scrivener. <laughs> but yeah, I do use scrivener. Um, you know, but back in the day, like I used to, you know, write and jot by hand. So even though um, I do use Scrivener, I always transcribe everything. So I write by hand first. It does two things. One, it's usually what I have on hand, no matter where I'm at, whether I'm traveling or I'm, you know, uh, taking a break. Once I've written everything down, then I transcribe it. And it kind of gives me a chance to kind of edit, work on a few pieces, and then put in a descriptor as far as this is the scene where, um, let's say, Alex LeBeau discovers the dead body. You know, know, this is the scene where I introduce the Rube Goldberg machine, which is going to kill, you know, the the host of the of the dinner party. Yeah. I love a deadly Rube Goldberg. You had me yes, at, I you did. had me in those was, three words. <laughs> that was how the story started. I was like, okay, if I made a murder mystery, what is the most creative way I can kill off someone? Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> <laughs> that is so brilliant. <laughs> oh my oh my gosh. You're my you're my new favorite human being, so <laughs> And I do have this, I do have this goal of someday writing a book in the order that the scenes present themselves to me. Because I have always been a really boring, rigidly linear writer, the kind of person who pushes myself through the transition scenes, which is dumb because when you're pushing yourself through a transition scene, inevitably they get lifted because they were stupid and you didn't need it. So, um, and I have a, I have a girlfriend who write these incredibly sexy um, uh, telekinesis books. And she writes all the sex scenes first. Which I just, I mean, when she said that, it it just blew my mind. And because they're so important to the book and to that connection with the characters. But, she, uh, you know, and someday I'm going to let myself do that. So I love hearing this from you. And, oh, that's cool. Okay. So what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Giving myself permission to not write in order like I used to. Yeah. How did you, okay, so because as I'm saying, like, I, I want to try that someday. How did you give yourself permission? How, how did that happen? I realized that doing it the way that I had been doing wasn't working. Mm. And not only that, but when I came out years ago, I found that it changed how I wrote. None of my characters are straight. Mm. And it gave me the freedom. So not only was I true to myself, I was true to my characters, but also they would come to me and say, oh, 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 I've got this funny story to tell you. This one thing happened. And then it was like, okay, so I'd write that scene. And it was like, but how'd you get to that point? Why did that happen? And they're like, oh, well, because it started with, and then I'd end up writing that scene. So once I started realizing, all right, it doesn't have to be strictly in order. I will get there. I had to trust that I'll put it in order eventually, but if I let part of the story flow, 
it's got a lot more humor to it. It's lighter, and I'm not struggling as much. Because when you read Maison Death, it is, it's a quick read. It's a fast read because I write very tight, but there's a lot of humor. It's slapstick. Because I, like I was saying earlier, I cheered myself up by writing that. And there were, I wrote scenes out of order. I wrote scenes to cheer myself up. So, yeah. The bordello scene is hysterical. <laughs> like, I don't really, like, praise my own stuff, but I <laughs> I can't wait to read this. And I'm, and I'm struck by this thought, too. And my wife and I always talk about this, is that um, as your process changed when you came out, there is something about uh, the queer life that we don't live our lives in order anyway right a lot of us when we do come out then we experience the teenage years even though we might be 25 or 41 or whatever so there is that whole creativity within the scenes of our lives too and I may be making too big a deal out of this but it seems to fit together in my head that that would have allowed you to do that very much so I also when I finally put this all together years ago I thought, you know what, Big Five may not ever publish me, but I'm not here for them. I mean, it would be nice, but being a hybrid is okay if that's a possibility. But for right now, I wanted to write stories for us, by us. Mm -hmm. I didn't, my goal was to not make it where it's either an after school special or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or it's like, good gracious, you know, you're depressing me. I mean, <laughs> it may be your truth, but I just, I, I need a little uplifting something. Or it's all erotica, which there's nothing wrong with erotica. I mean, really, there's nothing wrong with erotica. But, <laughs> but I wanted the middle ground. Yeah. I wanted to see us having adventures. I wanted to see a story where we weren't coming out. That wasn't the big deal. Oh, it was like, honey, we're already hello. out. Hello. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, just and that was the thing. When I wrote, like, I have started writing all the other stories, you know, in this universe, but with Maison Death, it became, all right, she's not out. I mean, well, she's not, she's not coming out. She's already out. It's not a big deal. Nobody cares. And in my world, let's see, the steampunk world is already odd in the, in the first place, but in my world, the Civil War never happened. Um... The so slavery had ended before it pretty much began. Mm. Uh, women, minorities, Native Americans, everybody is the majority. White males are the minority. They are not allowed to work with any sort of electronics or anything like that without any sort of uh, large, you know, you know, paperwork to go through with licensing. <laughs> so this was the way how I moved my steampunk world. This is how we evolved. And through that, it, it it just, it created a different world. So it made it a place for us. Like what would happen if we are normal as we are, which is, which is true. So instead of it just became, tell the story, mm. just tell the story. Well, that leads right naturally into my next question, which is what is your biggest joy in writing? Is it that? Is it something else? I can't pick just one. Oh, then tell me a Um, couple. (laughs) What I love about writing is that I get to take myself out of this world and dive into another one. And my biggest thing is when I am doing this, I'm thinking about potential readers like, oh, oh, 
what else can I show them? Or what, you know, if they were here with me, what fun things can we do together where we're in this journey together? We're in this adventure together. Um, I love that idea. I love building a community. That's pretty much, I write, my first draft is for me. The final book is for others. And it is for the community that I would love to build and be a part of. And then, you know, basically it's, it, it's when I want to give back. So I think that is where I always think to end at. But the part about writing that I love is interweaving the knowledge that I do have. It's, there's finally a place for that. I can write about aviation, which I know about. I can write about IT. I can write about engineering. I can write about food. And all of it is sound. I mean, when I did the Rube Goldberg machine and I did it on the airship, everything is sound. Uh, you cannot have open flames when you're on an airship. So I made sure that the cooking of the food was proper. Um, I made sure that when the gun went off, everything was just right. I made sure that the engineering was correct with the Rube Goldberg machine that didn't set anything on fire. You know, just it doesn't matter. Readers won't notice this, but I do. Yeah. And it it just it gives me joy to be able to unleash my nerd, <laughs> give an adventure, and pretty much share what's often in my head and step back and hopefully cheer other people up or let people know that they're not alone, um, that they don't have to have one story or another, but you can have your adventures and we're in it together. So, yeah. Don't you think that is the most, one of the most exciting parts of being a writer? Recently, I've been doing this thing where I either lie in bed or I get in the tub and I just let myself think about only the things that excite me the most. And they're always these deeply nerdy rabbit holes that I just go so deep into. Lately, it's been Venetian orphanages of the 17th century. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> and you never know. But and, and no one else wants to think about these things, but me probably. But, but allowing yourself to think about these things and then just to play with them, there is no greater joy than that. And then, of course, you got to put them on the page, which for me is always harder. But the fact that we get to do that is incredible. Right? I agree. Uh, I agree. Can you share any kind of quick craft tip that you've picked up along the way about writing? So everybody always gives advice on how to begin. Yeah. Nobody ever gives you any advice on what do you do when you finish the first draft. You know, they tell you to put it to the side and then they're like, okay, and then find an agent. And you're like, but, but wait, there's like a whole bunch. And, and it's, it's, right. it's a hard lesson. So what I found is... When you start doing your editing, at least for me, it is not me telling you this is how you have to do it. But what I found is when I go through the initial pass, look for a certain amount of certain things. Like um, if you want to do setting first, like, okay, well, I want to set the mood, set the tone. So I'm just going to read for that. You know, you, you do your little corrections, but go through your edits first with that in mind. Mm. Add to it a little bit at a time. It will... It keeps you from overwhelming yourself. It keeps you from getting distracted. And also, it lightens the burden on your shoulders. So then you can actually pay more attention to, let's say in the beginning, I want to set the tone. I want to set the mood. So you're able to do scenes that are appropriate. Then go back and it's like, okay, well, 
I want to have a little bit more characterization or I want to add a little bit more flavor or this character is coming off as like a total D-bag, man. So (laughs) let me lighten it up. So in order to do that, then you go back and, okay, what other ways can I lighten that? So if you go through it in stages instead of trying to do it all at once, for those of you like myself where we get overwhelmed, do it in pieces. But, you know, okay, focus only on the setting. Okay, focus, you know, the next pass um, the characterizations and making sure that everything is rich, um, going through and making sure that your science is sound or that you have more humor or you have more, um, you know, sexy times or whatever the case may be. But doing it all in one pass, you have that vibe. And, and I also found that if you make yourself a playlist or for those of you from the 80s, a mixtape, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you do that, I find that that really helps to kind of bring you into whatever mood you need to do. So if I'm doing the setting for a steampunk, my mixtape, my, my, my playlist is going to be different than if I'm doing um, New Adult, Now That Your Joystick's Broke, which is set in 21st century and, you know, hackers and things like that. And, um, you know, somebody being docked. So it, it depends yeah, on what yeah. you're doing. So, yeah. I know that's a long way of answering that question. No, it's a, no, that's a great answer. And it took me a long time to figure out that that was even allowed um, because, and, and it, and it triggered when you said setting, because I'm one of those people who I don't, I don't ever remember that the, any other world exists when I'm writing. There's, there's no, there's no world building in my writing. It's all characters and dialogue and plot. And then I realized there's, there, I don't know what the sky looks like. I don't know what the weather is doing. And I just yeah. gave up. And now I don't do it on my first draft. I, I know that I am not strong at that. And that is an entire setting pass that I do. And it all goes in then and I don't have to worry about it. But I love that you said that because somebody listening might be at the end of their first book or their second book or whatever they're trying to do. And you don't have to fix everything in that first chapter at once. You can fix a small thing all the way throughout and then go back to the beginning and do the next thing that you're fixing. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Somebody just got their mind blown. So um, when you have self doubt or the dark days when you're doubting yourself as a writer, how do you handle that? Do you have any tips or tricks that you use to help you with that? You mean every day? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say that, but yes, lie. yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, I am always plagued with self doubt, um, but I write anyway. Um, I'll give you advice, on, or at least what I do for me. But before I do that, um, during those times where I think, oh, you know, I don't believe in myself, or whatever the the negative talk that I have in my head like clockwork, there is always that one reader that doesn't know that when they go, you know, I really like that part of the story when you had X, Y, and Z happen. And when are you going to come out with another book? And it's like, oh, (laughs) and it's that quiet moment of, I am going to write for that one person. And and it's like, it, it just, that helps. Um, but before I got to that point, um, I write, to cheer myself up. Um, And I say that like, it it sounds flippant, but I mean, there were some really heavy, dark times where I didn't have anything to escape into. I didn't have the support that I needed at the time. And so when I was full of doubt, um, I wrote of a character that she was struggling. I gave her friends that, you know, I had wanted at the time. I gave her, you know, madcap adventures, things that 
she did things slightly wrong, but you still loved her anyway. And it, it helped me to see that everybody likes a character that has flaws, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. And one of the things that I found is as long as you're funny, doesn't matter what you do. You can be a jerk, but as long as you're funny, it doesn't matter. So <laughs> you true. can have self-doubt, but as long as you're funny, yeah, yeah. It, it's just one of those things where even in those low points, I figure out how to make myself laugh. And also, even if I can't get to that point, if I'm really, really feeling bad, I think about, all right, when I write, what's a way that I can cheer someone else up or I can let them know they're not alone during this time? Yeah. And that helps me by thinking about others. And just by talking to you in this short amount of time, I I believe that you are one of those people who can't keep humor. You would not be able to keep humor out of your work even if you wanted to. Is that correct? Very much so. I don't know why I would want to take it out. but <laughs> Oh, I've been told before to like, this doesn't need to be there. The food doesn't need to be in your oh, stories. Please. You know, I'm writing about a culinary mystery, but <laughs> food needs to be there. Like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> or being told like, why do you have this? You know, she's, she's, she's very klutzy or she's very this, or she's very that like, you know, why doesn't she just, you know, why is she running from bees? Because it's funny. <laughs> running from bees is pretty inherently funny. Always. Yes. I mean, you're, you're allergic it's and it's a swarm, but otherwise, yeah. True. <laughs> I mean, I started off with, I gotta say the opening line of the recent story was, if it hadn't have been for the ice cream cone, Alex LeBeau wouldn't have found herself in jail. <laughs> How can you not keep reading? Exactly. And it is, I made myself laugh from that because it was just so stupid. <laughs> and based on a true story, not the jail part, <laughs> but the B part. But the B part, I swear to God. <laughs> oh my gosh. I Don't talk can't. to my mother. Don't talk to my mother. I <laughs> I cannot wait to read this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things where, yeah. I, and I remember before I added humor to my work, oh, man, I was writing urban fantasy. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, moody and it was scary. Dark and I was and weeping and I was depressed and I was crying to people. And I just, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't. I mean, I mean, the dead bodies were flying. The magic was everywhere, but I was a mess. And then when I started writing Alex in this world with humor, yeah, things, it's like, even though the world falls apart, there's still something about writing humor. And I found that that was my oasis. It's not for everyone, but I, it took me a while. And there were people that were still telling me, don't write this, or I wouldn't write that. Well, no, honey, nobody asked you. Mm -hmm. You're not writing it. I no. am. Yeah. And I found that that worked for me. So for your, your listeners, do what works. Do what works for you. Discover what works. This is the cool part. It, it's one of those things that, well, nobody else has done it that way. Well, okay. This is your time to discover that. This is your time to find where you shine. So, yeah. I always like to remind listeners, too, that, that, that especially in terms of online and the writing podcast, there are so many, so many, so many rules, and I am definitely a person who gives rules, too, but I always want to say that all the rules are also wrong. There are always going to be reasons to break all the rules. Even the ones that I think are inviolate, they should be broken, too, at some point by someone. 
you know? Yeah. So, mm. okay. So what is the best book you've recently loved and why did you love it? Okay. Um, two books. Yay. Because I can't just pick one. <laughs> two books. And I will say this. They made me so jealous that I wish that I had written them. Oh, I love that feeling. Yeah. But at the same time, it's such a low amount of jealousy that I am, I guess, like rejoicing happy that they wrote these books. It's a pleasurable jealousy. Yeah. 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 Like one of those wishing them well. Yeah. Um, The first book, um, Night Circus. I think her name is Erin Mortensen. Uh, yeah, or Morgenstern. Yeah. Morgenstern, yeah. And I, if you get a chance, listen to the audiobook of it. It's really good. It's told in second person, so, so it, it's, a little, it's a little different, so get ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wonderful part is, I know you like things in order. <laughs> it's, it's told slightly out of order, but the cool part is, is by the end, you understand why it was written oh. slightly interwoven out of order. Okay. So it will give you that permission of it's okay to write out of order. <laughs> I thank you. That's it. I'm going to read it for that. And um, I've been wanting to read it for a long time. It's a NaNoWriMo novel. Actually, yes, it too. is. She, she did it in three, you know, um, sections, but yeah. yeah, she did an amazing job. I mean, she, when you, if you want to read it for setting a mood, setting a tone, building a world without drawing you, you know, down, but really drawing you in, she really nailed it. Okay. Um, the second book is Gail Carriker, her soulless, the first one that came out when she pretty much set the scene on fire with steampunk. Cause it was like, wait a minute, these females and they're all about manners and, you know, uh, Alexia Tarabati. She is fun. And with Gail, she writes with a lot of humor, tongue in cheek, and it's fun. Where she does have moods, she does have like different ranges of emotions with her characters, but the amazing part is, is that she does it with humor. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I just, she's amazing. I've met her. She's great. And of course, she is the absolute amazing author because she loves my chocolate. So that makes her perfect. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, she writes amazing stuff and she's built this world. And throughout the years, I love talking with her readers and fans because they are not just in love with these characters, but even when they're not reading them, they're talking about these characters, you know, years, weeks later, you know, after they've read the, you know, different, you know, novels. So, yeah. She's also, um, she's actually a member of my RWA chapter. She's a, she's also very talented at maintaining the world for her readers. Um, yes. You know, I write books and then I, I, I talk very clearly about things that have nothing to do with my books, you know, on Twitter or whatever, but she has this talent of maintaining her persona online too, which I think is, is super interesting. And she does it well. I'm not, I would not be good at it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm too fall on my face and tell you all about it, but she's, just, <laughs> okay. she's, she's so classy and just like holds all of that together. So thank you for those. Now I would love for you to tell us where we can find you about um, your books. And I want to tell the readers that the, the mise, on da, mise on Death, which I can't say very well, has one of the best covers I have ever seen in my life it's like up there top 10 could you tell us a little bit about what that book is because that's the one i'm going to be taking with me on my vacation oh good um as somebody had asked me well what's you know what's the elevator pitch and this is what i came up with so bear with me imagine if 
Lucy and Ethel were a steampunk couple that solved murder mysteries together. <laughs> so that is, it, think of it that way. Like, if you need a soundbite, there you go. You could not sell me any harder on that. I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm, your tar- it, I'm your target audience for that. Yeah. And um, pretty much I wrote this world where women of color are in the steampunk world and they are the adventurers. Um, I wanted to read a book that, that gave me something, you know, gave me somebody to look up to. Even if it's like to get in trouble, but yeah, she does it well with better lighting and great hair. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so with Maison Death, uh, it's set in a culinary school in the early 1800, uh, excuse me, 1880s. And it's set in a um, fictional town called Enfleur in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What else can I tell you? Because like, I don't want to like read the blurb of the, the no, no. back of the book. Actually, yeah. you know what? I, I'm one of those people I prefer not to ever read blurbs. I like to go in 100% cold. Like I like an impression about what the what the, the feeling of the book is. And then I like to go in for surprises. So yeah, I think that, well, is, there's a lot. That, that is perfect. And tell us where we can find you online. Okay. Well, you can find me on my author site. NikkiWolfalk.com. Um, I also I have an Etsy shop Ooh. for right now until we can get back onto having our own you know line as far as Lebeau chocolate. So we're we're on Etsy. Yes, I do sell the chocolates that I mentioned in the book. We sold out, so I'm making another batch. <laughs> How genius is that, please? <laughs> oh, it's just one of those things that I grew up with. You know, like when you watch 3D movies with the little 3D glasses and you have your scratch and stiff stickers. <gasps> yes, so I like, remember those. You remember Smell-O-Vision? Yes. So I wanted to do like Taste-O-Vision. <laughs> and, and I will mention, because we were talking before we went live, that um, you're the artist, the incredible artist for your book does the art for the chocolate, right? Um, she did one of the chocolate bar pieces oh my God. of Alex LeBeau, and it, it, she did a beautiful job. And that's Claudia. She um, she does covers for Titan Comics, and she is amazing. I lucked out when I met her, and she's doing the next three covers. And when she showed me the first one, it, I just, I, I started to weep. It's, it was beautiful. I gasped. I really yeah. gasped. It, it surprised, it, it's like I knew she was talented. I'd seen her work, but it was one of those things of, you know, I had this idea in my head and then I told her and I'm so glad she didn't go with it because mine was lame. <laughs> we never know. We're writers. We're, yeah, <laughs> we're not cover designers. <laughs> I make chocolate and I write. I don't have any other skill. Just leave it alone. I, I, I know that that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but, but with Claudia, yeah. she really... Got it. And I remember saying to her, hey, can you um, can you make her more animated? And she says, you mean over the top, dramatic, whatever, you know, like really, really just too much. And I'm like, well, no, she says, yes. I said, OK, yeah, that that's yeah. <laughs> and she's right, because it really is madcap. It really is, you know, silly and funny. And I wanted to convey that. And so she did it just right where, you know, they're gasping at this dead body, you know, but at the same time, it's on an airship. Uh-huh. Um, in, those, in those clothes and oh God, all of it. So yeah, she's, um, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it, you know, uh, Barnes and Noble as far as Nook and online for right now. It will be back in print soon. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And we've got some other books as well. So I have my 
like I mentioned, now that your joystick's broke. Um, I love that title. Such a great title. (laughs) I love that title. That one was fun to write. That was based on, I was so angry. Um, when I, when I wrote it, it was because, uh, Felicia Day had been doxxed. Oh yeah. And Mm -hmm. all that stuff was happening and there was nothing I could do. And I'd been in that same situation. And, so I decided to write, I was watching She's the Man. I know, it's my favorite movie. Um, so I'm watching She's the Man, and I was thinking, what happens if you kind of did that, but with a twist um, in the 21st century with a girl that's been doxxed, and she's trying to get her life back, and her brother's about to start a new job, and he gets ill, and he needs that job. So she basically goes in as him, because nobody's ever met him yet at this new job, and comedy ensues. And it's what a, a great idea. It was just fun. Anyway, so yeah, there's that. And that's available on Amazon as well. You are a joy to talk to. I (laughs) was not kidding. You are my new favorite human being. I am so pleased that you came on the show and that I got a chance to meet you. And I hope that I meet you in person at a conference someday. And it's just been such a pleasure to talk to you, Nikki. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I can't wait. Yay. Next time. Okay. Well, happy writing to you and take care. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.